Greta Thunberg was right. Sometimes it takes a simple, clear, insightful look at what's going on, a stand back and a calling out. COP27 was not serious about climate change. Indeed, in a very important sense, there was not much about climate change at COP27. It's all about what should be paid for for the past, about reparations, about loss and damage, about money, money transfers from developed countries to developing countries. And there's a lot to be said about reparations, just as there's a lot to be said for reparations in respect of the slavery and why developed countries that benefited from slavery should help out those countries who suffered from it. But that's quite different from addressing the emissions, the future emissions, and equally importantly, the scale of the damage that's being done to natural capital and the ability of the natural world to absorb a carbon from the atmosphere. The money itself, well, we're not talking about big numbers, are we? The climate fund we've had going for quite a long time, $100 billion per annum, well, that's less than the annual dividend of Saudi Aramco, admittedly the world's largest oil company, but you get the drift. And the idea that the developed countries are going to come up with lots of money to really meet up to the damaging consequence of climate change, well, you just have to look at the UK. It is sadly extremely popular to cut overseas aid from 0.7% of GDP to 0.5, and then to spend quite a bit of that money at home in the UK, uh, addressing some of the refugees and related issues. $100 billion per annum isn't going to make much difference, and it isn't going to make much difference to the 8 billion people in the world. So when you add a loss and damage fund on top, is that some more money on top? Do we really envisage that the voters in the democracies of the North are going to queue up to vote 1, 2, 3, 4% of GDP transferred to developing countries? Do we really think that that money is going to be wisely spent? Do we really trust the UN to administer such funds? Of course, it matters and a little helps, but... COP27 did not lay the foundations for a serious north-south wealth transfer on the scale that climate change might demand. It would be just one more gathering at this time, 36,000 people flying across the globe and all the carbon consumption goes with it. If it wasn't just so serious and how immediate the problems are. COP27 was the point at which we were supposed to up the national determined contributions, the NDCs, from the failure at Glasgow to come up with commitments which looked anything like the 1.5 degrees. Indeed, they add up to significantly more than two degrees. This was where what went wrong at COP26 at Glasgow was going to be put right in Egypt. And let's face it, it wasn't. There is no 
upgrading of the commitments, even if we thought the commitments themselves were actually going to be met. We're on course for well over two degrees. And it's almost laughable that the big claim is that 1.5 degrees of target was kept going. Admittedly, even the people there added the rider on life support. But let's face it, we're not going to limit climate change to 1.5. And just talking about it enables the avoidance of the real fundamentals, which is go on like this and two degrees is well out of our reach. And the facts which don't get highlighted at these COPs are really quite stark. You know, 80% of the world's energy is from fossil fuels. Is this right? 80%. And the rest, on top of that, is mainly hydro and nuclear. Renewables have hardly got going yet. They're a pencil line on the top of the graph showing this mountain of energy coming from the fossil fuels. The climate change problem is about the concentration of carbon in the atmosphere. It's not just emissions. Sequestration and the ability of the natural world to absorb all this stuff, all this carbon and related greenhouse gases, is being severely damaged. It's both emissions and sequestration that matters, and yet sequestration and all the ancillary damage that's being done to biodiversity, etc., isn't also run at these uh, great COP events. The delegates got terribly excited about the Brazilian elections. But again, look at what's going on in the Amazon. Look at what's going on in the Congo. Look at what's going on in the Mekong. See the damage that's being done and ask yourself, do we really believe that a change of the president in Brazil good news that they're more concerned about climate change is actually going to change the trajectory that the destruction of our rainforests are on. And does anyone think that uh, 14 billion part private, part public is a serious number to help stop deforestation by 230? Yes, in almost a decade's time is our ambition, not now. So that reality, those facts on the ground, pass the COP delegates by. Of course, I'm sure they realise a lot of these, but the ability to address them and concentrate on the facts rather than the bits that uh, have an immediate impact like loss and damage leaves us all in the world of the endless march of parts per million of carbon into the atmosphere. 419 and counting, two per year added every single year since 1990. One more heave? No, that's not going to make a difference. And in fact, at COP27, there wasn't even one more heave. And what really lies behind this, and what really should be the concentration of the delegates and member states, is the carbon consumption of all of us. The UN has a nice metric, territorial carbon production, emissions within the geographical domain of sovereign states. And let's be clear, of course we want to get down emissions, but you have to bear in mind that there's a thing called trade and that quite a lot of the emissions 
that have grown in the last 30 years have been associated with the development of that trade, and in particular, China. You know, China doesn't produce all that steel, aluminium, cement, petrochemicals, fertilisers, etc., only for itself. It produces a lot of them for Europe and the United States. And that's where, if you like, the big lie of climate change progress lies. You know, we've had Boris Johnson boasting about the achievements of the UK. He was at it again in Egypt, although not uh, anymore in power. You know, we are the beacon to which everyone else should look. In a government document in Johnson's time as PM, it stated that we were such a success in the UK that other countries, notably China and Russia, would look to us, see how it's done, and try to emulate and copy what we've done. As hubris and as boosting claims, there are few to beat that. So look beyond this, look underneath the bonnet, see what's been going on in the UK, see what's been going on in Europe, and ask yourself, if all of this is such a great success, why does it make no difference to the parts per million in the atmosphere? And the answer is pretty straightforward. It is that countries like the UK have both relied on neat statistical twists and on outsourcing quite a lot of their emissions. The UK is 80% services. It's only 20% manufacturers. It imports loads of stuff, which it used to produce in the UK. And of course, the best way to get towards net zero on a territorial carbon basis in the UK is to close down the rest of the steel industry, hope Brexit finishes off the rest of the car industry, get rid of any other energy intensive industries. Oh, and probably close Grangemouth Petrochemical Plant in Scotland. Do those things and the numbers improve dramatically. It looks really good, but of course it's smoke and mirrors. Instead, we'll import the stuff from elsewhere. And my guess is the carbon emissions associated with imports and trading the stuff across the world, the transport, are probably greater than what was done in the UK. And then the statistical twists. Where are the real emissions from soils and from peat in all these numbers? Soil has four times the carbon of the atmosphere. Is the damage that agriculture is doing really being measured? And then there's drags. How can you design a statistical method which excludes the emissions from Drax in the UK inventory? Answer, the UN carefully constructs a methodology which allows this fiction to go forward. So what this is all really about is consumption, our carbon footprint. It's about the carbon that goes into what we do every day, where that 80% of fossil fuels go. And if you really want to address climate change, and if you really want to address the North-South issues, and if you really want a COP that matters, the place to start is with the polluter pays principle. Polluters should pay, and we don't. We don't pay the price of the pollution. There isn't a proper carbon price, and there isn't a price associated with the damage we're doing to sequestration from the natural world. There isn't a price for peat emissions. There isn't a price for soil emissions. There isn't a proper price for carbon across the board. And in the absence of a proper price, we are not only living beyond our means, but encouraged to go on doing the pollution beyond that level, which is necessary to leave our planet in a reasonable state for the next generation. So 
if we really wanted a cop counted and not another 27 like the ones that have gone before, we would address that consumption head on. We would make us the polluters pay. And yes, we can talk about reparations for past pollution as well. And that would be radically more painful. That would really hurt. That would show that we're living beyond our sustainable means. Future growth, yes, but beyond our means now. And if you ask yourself, are voters going to queue up for both a much bigger transfer of GDP to those developing countries where lots of the emissions are going to happen in the future, or queue up to pay for the pollution they're causing through carbon, you see what's likely to happen. We're not on a path to address climate change, and until we address our carbon consumption, we won't. So, Greta's right that uh, COP27 isn't going to get us there, but there's a, a corollary of that. We're actually not making progress on climate change, and that means that the unsustainable will go on being unsustainable. We'll go on living beyond our environmental means. But, you know, that means it won't be sustained. And what we need to do is focus on what happens when it isn't sustained, when the temperature is 2.5 or 3 degrees warmer. And that's not so far away. But the one thing we don't need is another cop to continue the illusion of progress. Sadly, there isn't much. Thank you. Thank you.